When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Baum. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, yeah, we took a couple weeks off. A little tough. It was good. Uh, I mean, not a recording. Because we were working hard. And sure. It's nice to take a little break. Sure. We did a couple pre-recordings, and now we're back. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for uh, making this podcast your choice right now in this moment. I, I really appreciate that, guys. It means... A ton, because there's a lot of choices out there. And uh, all I ask is, if you like the podcast today, which I hope you will, subscribe. And uh, here's our handles. If you want to follow us, write a review. Our handles are at Inside of You Podcast on the Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter, at Inside of You Pod. It's all right here. You can see it visually if you want. You can watch on YouTube. It's fun. Come and enjoy our clips. We've got tons of great clips. Tons of great episodes if you if you want to look back. And uh, that's really all I have. Our, our guest today, by the way, I'm I'm turning fifty shortly. You got a couple months. I don't have that long. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinning a little bit on the top, just a hair, just mm-hmm. my, my hairdresser. Your hair that. is thinning a hair. But hey, it's life. You know, this is fifty, and uh, you know, I, I've had my hair for quite a long time, and it's still good. But you know, at fifty years old, you, 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 things shit happens. Yeah. So these are the things that happen at this age so you take care of it now yeah you take care of it yeah you do the work yeah uh kate siegel is on the podcast you know her from uh haunting of hill house midnight mass she's been in so many movies so much great stuff uh her partner mike flanagan who's directed a lot of stuff uh they they collaborate together they write together they uh she's a she's a force to be reckoned with man i i loved having her and i think she's truly truly talented and uh, I'm glad she sat down with me. Thank you, Miss Siegel. And uh, hey, if you want to go to the uh, Inside of You store, go to the Inside of You online store. There's some great merch there and some autograph stuff and new tumblers. And then uh, the Patreon. Thank you, my patrons. Patrons give back, Ryan. What do they do? They uh, keep the podcast going. They do. They they you they can... get, they donate. They 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 just are so helpful. Go to yeah. Patreon. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash inside of you. Join today. I'll send you a message. There's different tiers. It's a lot of fun. In fact, at the end of the episode, I read the top tiers names out. We do it every uh, every episode. Ryan has memorized most of the names. And uh, so check that out. Uh, I'll be at some conventions coming up. St. Louis, Missouri, May 13th. We're doing a, fr- a Smallville Nights in St. Louis. I love it. Tom Welling and I will be there for Smallville Nights, and we'll also uh, be there Saturday and Sunday signing autographs. Then we'll be in Liverpool in late May. Uh, so join us, and uh, yeah, come say hi. And uh, without further ado, Ryan, why don't we just get right into Kate Siegel. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. 
Yeah, what are you what are you drinking there? What is that? This is um it's called Boreal Botanical. This is not an ad. Um it's like a little um it's a like reishi mushroom botanical tonic. It has elderberry and birch. <laughs> this is why I never booked any commercials ever in my whole life. I was like, oh, this thing is a thing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You've never booked a commercial in your life. Um, I had one of those amazing uh, commercial actor things where I had a commercial agent first. I auditioned for commercials for 10 years, two or three times a week. And I booked one commercial, one pharmaceutical, oh, maybe two, a pharmaceutical commercial and a Tide commercial where I had stinky pants. You had stinky pants in a commercial and a pharmaceutical commercial. Where I had a rash, where I had eczema or psoriasis. Are you serious? Those are the only two commercials I ever booked. I've never booked a commercial. Uh, Only voiceover. They wouldn't even want to see my face on the commercial. It's a a commercial world. Let me turn my phone off. My commercial world is beyond me. I know people who make a living out of it and who love it and it's their world. I found those auditions unbearable. And I think that probably read on my face. You know what I think it is? I think that you're just such a wonderful actor. You know, that they just, you know, they were like, you know, she's just too good for this world. You think so? But then I remember, like, I always think I'm real cute, even when I'm not. <laughs> and I was auditioning for a birth control commercial or oh, something. Great. And they were like, what's your favorite things about babies? And, you know, any normal <laughs> commercial actor in the world would have been like, their smell, their softness. And because I'm an asshole and I can't help myself, I said, they're tender meat. Their tender meat. Mm-hmm. Wow. No one thought it was funny. It landed like a lead <laughs> balloon. And they were like, thanks so much. And then I never saw that casting office again. Wow. That's amazing. That world, it seems so long ago that I auditioned for commercials and I'd go in there. And I had these fangs. Like, my, my teeth are straight now. But I used to have these little fangs. And I would never book anything. And I was like, why am I not booking anything? And Did I, you get the veneers? Is that well, yeah, I remember a manager of mine once, uh, his name's Dave Becky, and he like he he repped me at the time, Dave Chappelle, Mark Marin, like all these guys who are huge now. I was like the only actor and then all these stand-up comedians. Um what's the other guy's name? The guy who goes, Rice is a great snack if you're in the mood for two thousand of something. What was that guy's name? <laughs> oh, Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg. And I remember oh, I remember Dave comes up to me and goes, Hey man, um, I, I think you need to get your teeth fixed. And I go, really? What about Steve Buscemi? He's like, yeah, but I don't think you're that much of a character actor. I think you know if you, I think if you just straighten your teeth out, get a retainer or whatever, yeah. I think it will change your your career. And he was right. Yeah. I straightened my fucking sense. teeth and I started booking like lead roles. I mean. Here's a hot take on this podcast that I've never said anywhere else. Same. You fixed your teeth too? Oh yeah, these aren't my teeth. Your teeth are good. They're sp- you can get a commercial now if you wanted. Now I can. I had like little tiny baby teeth. Dear internet, please go unearth those photos because I did. I worked for a while, but not well and not often with my tiny teeth and gummy smile. And I had the same thing. I had a producer say to me, "Well, she said two things. She said, fix your teeth." And pin your ears back. Get your ears pinned. What? And I was like, 
I had a little self-esteem, not a lot of self-esteem. So I had enough self-esteem to be like, no, I'm not pinning my ears. But then I got my teeth fixed. Yeah. But they, so people, you can actually have your ears pinned. I'll show you. I have normal human ears. Yeah. They look like very good ears. But what they'll do is they'll put like a little stitch that way. So that like front on, you have no human ears. Apparently ears are a no-no in the film world. Were you considering it? Be honest. Were you considering? Oh, yeah, I was considering done anything i wanted to be an actor so badly it's all i wanted to do it was just like for so many years the goal was just let it be a full-time job please god let it just be enough to pay rent and i would have pinned my ears i would have fixed my i didn't have like again this is not good advice because i didn't have boundaries or self-esteem i had a cloud of desperation that's what i had Right. And an unrelenting ambition. I like how honest you are about loving acting and like I would do anything to be an actor. And a lot of people would go like, you know, they wouldn't. But you really took it seriously. You really wanted to do everything. Did you take tons of classes? Yeah. And really? You took like everything you needed to do. The best headshot guy, the best acting oh, coach. Right. I was so confused because like I got my degree. I got in class, I did everything, I was did all the right things, I tried every headshot, and it was, and I want to be honest about this, because I'll make fun of literally anything, but I think people who care about stuff, that's not, it's not funny to mock that. It's not funny when somebody wants something and they go, go after it and they fail, you don't tease that. But so I, it was like 10 years, it was 10 years of like, maybe it's my headshots, maybe it's my reel, maybe I need another class, maybe... If I cut my hair, maybe if I grow my hair, maybe if I fix my teeth, maybe if I, and just like, just running from door to door, banging and banging and banging and banging because there was never really any other option for me. Wow. I tried other things. I tried to do other things and I was miserable. Well, you know, what's crazy. I feel like I know you. First of all, one of my good friends is Robert Longstreet who, <laughs> yeah, I know. I see you love him. Who doesn't love him? You were in, you know, Midnight Mass together. You were in oh, Haunted Hill House. Right. Yeah, he's such a great. I've known him since like the 90s, and um, he just talks so highly of you. And then I'm going to interview on Monday Rahul Kohli. Is it that I'm I, best friends? See, I mean, isn't this funny? It's such yeah. a small world, it is. And I think within that small world, there's a smaller world of people who aren't assholes, and like we can see each other across the room, and you know that because when you like. People make fun of name droppers. But when you say to me, I'm friends with Robert Longstreet, I know you're a good guy. <laughs> because Robert Longstreet isn't friends with assholes. He's not. And yeah. if they are assholes, they're funny and charming and worth it. Yeah. Rob's a lo- he's a bit of a loner, does his own yeah. thing. He do- goes his own way. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that about him. But he's but honestly, I have to say this, and we won't get on because people are like, who's Robert Longstreet? Well, look up Robert Longstreet. Yeah. Watch him in and some you, of these you movies. Don't know who Robert Longstreet is. He's fantastic. But like the guy, I really believe Rob is a genius. I do believe yes. he's a genius. Yeah. Yeah, he baffles me. Some of the things he says, I'm just like, how did that come out of someone's mouth? How do you come up with that shit? It's crazy. It's crazy. So how did it all start for you? Because, I mean, look look at all the stuff you've done. And I'm a huge, huge horror fan. Huge. I interviewed your husband, Mike Flanagan, who I think is one of the most gifted directors, writers out there. And I just, I felt like a kid in the candy store when I'm, I'm you know, t- when I was talking to him. Because I'm just such a, you know, I have an affinity for horror movies. But you've been in, like, all these horror movies that, uh, or shows, A Haunting of Hill House and and Hush, which you 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 co-wrote with Mike, and Midnight Mass, and Oculus, and the, the fall of the House of Usher's coming out, 
and Ouija and Gerald's game. And it's like, oh, I'm like, holy shit, you are really you won the lottery when it comes to this for horror fans. You're in all these. Do you do you love being called a screen queen or is it something you're like, I'm not a screen queen. You love it. Love you it. embrace it. Sure. Why not? Ride the horse in front of you. What am I going to look down on the people who got me where I am? No. And it's also for actors. This is the top of everything because you're not just like walking into a hospital operating room and going 10 cc's of saline with like a calm face for 14 years. You're like, holy shit, my boyfriend's on fire. They're fucking vampires. I'm falling in love. I'm falling out of love. I'm running through the woods. I'm covered in blood. Like for people who love acting, horror genre is where it's at because like yeah. every single one of those shows you mentioned all of those characters are stretched to their breaking points and then they break. And if you don't want to play on the biggest jungle gym, like why are you at the park? You know, it's funny though, is when I watch these, I feel like you're right too. And they're the hardest to do you. I mean, you, you can see what an actress like you are. Like when you watch your performances, you just give it all you've got. And it's just so believable. And I really love that because there's nothing worse than seeing a horror movie with bad actors or right. terrible writing or whatever. But when you see someone committing and just invested and just in that role, it just, it's awesome. And I feel like I watch you and I'm like, I don't look at you and go, she's a screen queen. I feel like this, she, she could be nominated for an Academy Award. That's how good I think you are. Jesus Christ. I do. You're I really bad. believe you're great. I told Mike, I was like, Mike, can you, can you get me an interview with her? She's like, he's like, well, I have, you know, I have. A little inside, you know. I'm, Just I'm, a little bit. I'm her husband. No, he loved you too. He was like, you're going to have so much fun, Kate. And this actually is perfect timing because I was shooting yesterday and I felt so insecure after the scene. And I bet you can relate to this. I, and this is, I swear to God, I'm not joking. I hid in the closet in my trailer after the scene because I was like, this is the one where they're all going to find out I'm a fraud where it's just not going to work. And because acting, when you're doing these extreme circumstances like that, right, where there's no, there's no YouTube video for my boyfriend is on fire in front of me. It doesn't, I can't go watch people go through that and then recreate it. Yeah. It's, an, it's what we call an inactable circumstance. So basically anything you do, you can make sense of. And in the horror genre, when you get to those moments or things where there is no touchstone for you must trust your director and your DP implicitly because they're the ones who are going, yes, that's real. I believed it. I believe you. Even as a person, you can feel like a fraud because you really are faking it because they're, I can't generate in me a feeling of being eaten alive by a vampire. <laughs> like I don't have that. So when it's so, it, it, it demands everything. It takes everything that I have that I've built and like all of my stability. And when it's done, I feel like I just walked into a room naked and farted. Like I feel ashamed. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. Like I don't feel cute. I don't feel sexy. I don't feel all the things. I don't feel like me. I don't feel like them. And, and I'm so that like at the end of it, I need to be alone in a tiny dark space. And that's, I think why actors need, or why I need the validation I need because I have to get out of the closet. <laughs> like, literally, I'm not in the closet anymore for a lot of things. But I have to oh, get I want to hear about closet. that. Yeah, I have to get out of the closet, literally, and hearing from audience members that you believe me 
and it affects you truly keeps me going. I wish I was a, a less intense person. I wish I was cool. You know, do you well, ever wish you were cool? I, I believe me. I've always wished I was cool. I never, I never have felt comfortable. I've talked about this a million times, but when I'm around other like celebrities or bigger celebrities, I feel like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I got, I, I, I'm never comfortable. I could yeah, fake never, it. I could fake it, but I'm never comfortable. I'm never comfortable. Even on set, I'm supposed to show this confidence and I'm showing it, I'm showing it. And sometimes I am eating my own ass. I am so nervous. I'm so insecure. I'm like, I suck. I, oh yeah. my God, I'm embarrassed. Like I'm, I feel like I'm blushing. Sometimes one time a director said to me, he's like, oh, that was so cool. In that last thing I could see your face. You like, you blushed. And I'm like, that's cause I was nervous. And I thought I was really fucking up and I was embarrassed in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It but was this crazy. This is the secret. This is what I want to tell like little baby actors who are <laughs> trying to be cool or trying to be successful. Um, there is a you that radiates that like your story is exactly perfect. You were in the moment terrified and it made you blush. And that was a brilliant choice. I believe that's the secret of all actors. That's what they mean when they say, get out of your way. Right. People say that to actors all the time in class. You're in your own way. You're standing in your own way. Yeah. What that means is you're trying to cover up your authentic experience in the scene, even if it doesn't match what you're doing on the page. So if you're doing a, a scene in the dead of winter in Antarctica and you're on set on stages in August in Atlanta and you're wearing a heavy coat and it's like fake snow is falling on you and you as an actor, as a person, are so hot and embarrassed I would say, take off your fucking coat and be like, I'm so hot. And then later the audience is going to be like, that's the most genius choice I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it is, it's about really, it's about just revealing your underpants every fucking day. Going it. for it, going it. for it. Yeah. I mean, look, when you say you curled up in a closet after you did, and this is for the, uh, the fall of the house of Usher, right? This is what you're yeah, filming right this now. This show is bombastic as fuck. When it's you just like, insane it's that intense it's jallow which i didn't know what that word meant until this show what's the word what's the word jallow g-a-l-l-o it's a type of filmmaking that's like suspiria so it's ah. like extreme lights and sets and people it's poe it's like gothic crazy insanity it's chaotic evil and can't hold back there's none of that midnight mass grounded realism seven minute monologue thing it's just like buckets of blood and people acting in a letter. That, I mean, that it just, it's so, it, it terrifies me. Like I watch, you know, Mike's films or at least the last couple of shows that he did, like uh, The Haunting of Hill House and Midnight Mass. And I'm watching some of these scenes and I'm going, I don't think I could do this. Oh my God, he's staying on this fucking actor. He doesn't take, how is she, she's, oh my God, he's been on her for five minutes. She's still talking. When is it, when are they going to cut away? Why, what are they doing? I can't, I'm getting nervous for the actor. I'm like, how the fuck? And, and I'll tell you what, the preacher in that show, how did he, how did they have enough footage to film his scenes? Because he had like 10 pages straight of monologue. I could oh, never, ever do it. Genius. He's a genius. Could you have done that? What Hamish did? No, it's not possible. Hamish is a genius, like touched by God genius. Like I, no. Because also, fun fact behind the scenes, like Hamish wasn't offered that part. Like he wasn't the first choice. There was a different look that they were going for. 
And Hamish was, I believe, a fan or somehow got a hold of the script and was like, I want to read for this. And I had been a fan of Hamish's for years, like all the way back to some of his theater work. He did a Hamlet that I thought was like life-stopping. And I begged Annie McCarthy, the casting director, and Mike, can I just be his reader? I promise like I'll wear glasses and a mustache. Like I just want to see the man work. And the second he opened his mouth, there was no other choice ever. What he did was blew every other concept of Father Paul out of the water. It was brilliant from the first day. Did he ever mess up his lines? Because I'm watching this going, I'm not kidding. Listen, listeners, if you're bored, tough shit, because this is as an actor. Anyway, you're watching these, these moments and you're saying to yourself, he's saying these lines 15 minutes straight without someone else talking. The camera is always on him. It is, it's almost like an impossibility to think you can memorize that much material. I don't know how people do it. You, you do it. You do it with a lot of, it's just, I think it's similar to any other muscle. I, I, I'm not shy about it. I print out the pages and I go for a walk and I get my body moving and I just takes about 20 minutes a page. That's it. 20 minutes a page and you have it memorized. Yeah. You realize that's a gift though. That's like, you must have a a photographic memory or something. No, it's a skill. It's a skill. I practice it all the time. If I stopped it, it wouldn't work. I I don't think it, what I, I, I truly don't believe what I do is magic. I believe it is bravery, a little bit of psychosis and practice. Inside of you is brought to you by rocket money. I love rocket money. You know why? Because everyone should have rocket money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got rocket money. <laughs> okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's 
so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Why did you go into the, your trailer? Why did you? <laughs> you went into the to the closet because you really thought that you were awful and that they're going to figure you out that you're not a great actress because of this one moment. Now, does Mike, as a director, do, does does the director does he come to you and say, "No, seriously, Kate, I wouldn't lie to you. I'm your husband." <laughs> Honestly, everybody, all of my friends are on set and they're like, "That was amazing. You crushed it." And I'm like nodding politely because it is not appropriate to scatter your shit around set, right? It's not appropriate to waste everyone's time. Like, I'm so insecure. Please feed me, love me, love me, feed me. Um, <laughs> that's not professional. So you kind of go, thank you so much. That was amazing. And Mike will say, are you happy? Or Mike Fiminari actually was directing this episode. And he goes, I'm happy. Are you happy? And I go, if you're happy, I'm happy. And I just fucking shut it down until I get in my trailer and then... Like, I don't know, I'll call my sponsor or I'll call, I'll text my therapist and make them talk to me for a while because that is the difference, right? That to me is the way you have to do it because that set needs to keep moving. My husband cannot stop and rebuild my confidence between every setup. Like that's a terrible way to run a show. So you, it's not their business how I feel about it. And like then that night I went out to dinner with Sam Sloyan and Rahul and I was like, you guys, I just am going to throw myself. You're like, you do it off time. You find who you can talk to. That's a lesson I learned in my career. That like said, it's just not the place for your shit. And right. if I really messed up, Mike will help me that night. And be like, no, you were great. I was there. It's okay. Come here. I'll hold you. Because I'm, you know, I'm like a lonely little kitten. 
Do you ever get in arguments because it's like, you have to stop, you have to let it go because you're the actor and we all have insecurities and all these things that we're talking about. But are there ever moments where like, Kate, shut the fuck up. Mike, I can't let it go. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's, it's more, less an argument and more like an exasperation. But I'll say this for Mike Flanagan and he's a genius and he's like the, one of the greatest creators of our generation. He loves me for who I am. And so he's not trying to change that. You're not going to yell at someone out of insecurity, right? They're not going to change their insecurity because you yelled at them enough. <laughs> right, right, right. And if he didn't want, and, and he wanted me, and part of me is that I love the work so much. It means so much to me. I think of it as a spiritual thing. Like I love my job so much that I always feel like I'm not serving it enough. Yeah. I think he understands that. Like, I think as creators, we understand that. Do you recognize when you're good, when you nail it, when you are like, I am fucking gold on that take. I don't need any more. Why are we going again? Every so often. Yeah. That's a good feeling though, isn't it? It's the best. You just have that confidence, right? You have that confidence that you just feel like... It fills up the room. It's like, fuck, okay, this is why I'm here. Yeah. All those, yeah. You can see, yeah, you feel the energy rise. You feel like the crew lean forward a little bit. You feel your scene partners like perk up because they want to play too. Yeah, that's a good day. That's I've good. had moments where, you know, I'm on set where I just like, I could tell the, the crew's looking at me like, he's fucking good. And then yeah. I've had days where I'm like, man, what's like, the, I'm thinking, I'm thinking what they're thinking. And they're like, yeah, what's wrong with Rosenbaum today? He just doesn't have it. They're never thinking that. Oh, yeah. Are we getting a meal penalty today? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Did you always want to do this since you were a kid? Yeah. Since you grew grew up in Maryland? Yeah. And like, how do you have brothers and sisters? I have an older sister. She is a lawyer for the government in the Department of Education. Wow. My dad was a lawyer and an um, international banker thing. And my mom was an elementary school principal. And I had no connections, like not, zero connections to this world at all. And they were all expecting me to be a teacher or a lawyer. That was the thing. A long line of teachers and lawyers. And I was like, nope. How old when you when you thought, what was it about acting? What was it? What, what did you do? You had to perform in something that gave you that little feeling. Uh, my sister used to write plays and I would perform in them with our friends. We always did it from a very young age, make believe and all this stuff. I didn't know it was a career. I didn't know it was a job until I was in one of those, like, gosh, I must've been first grade, maybe earlier. I was in one of those like camps, summer camps where you do a lot of different things. It was just like a general like community center camp. And one of the things was a play. And it was a little tiny performance to do for the parents at the end of it, just like singing and whatever. And the counselor, the camp counselor who did that part of it, called my mom in the fall and said, I am doing the Days of Wine and Roses at Community College. I'm directing it at like Montgomery County Community College. I need a little girl for one scene to just run on and say, I love you, daddy, or whatever happens. Can Katie do it? And my mom was like, yeah, that works. That's okay. And I did that and I looked around and I was like, holy balls, you <laughs> could do this forever. And that was it. And then I was done. That was it. Your one line on stage. 
that one moment or whatever it was, that was yeah. enough to give you that feeling like this is what I have to do. I think it was less the being on stage and more the community around it. The way all the actors laughed and how the women were glamorous, but also like powerful and how like everybody was quick and funny and everything was exciting and everybody loved and supported each other and joked around and the, we rode the roller coaster together and it didn't hurt at all that I was like this tiny little six-year-old there that everyone probably doted on and was like a little actress. <laughs> and I was so enamored by the sense of community and belonging that I wanted it forever. Did, you said Katie. Now, who do you allow people, what people do you allow to call you Katie? Um, so there are two types of people who call me Katie. <laughs> people who knew me when I was young and people in my life who come to it organically. Like every once in a while, like it's not like at some point in a friendship I say, and now you may call me Katie. Right. Like some of my best friends still call me Kate. But just the other day, um, one of the props girls walked up to me and said, hey, Katie, do you want to use this phone? And I just loved it. It just worked with her right. and me, and it was right. It might have been because she thought I was Katie Parker, but it also <laughs> might have been <laughs> that she said it, and it just felt right. I never really correct anyone because most people go with Kate. But your husband calls you Kate. Mike calls you Kate. Yeah, no, he, <laughs> he, no I'm thinking, no, he calls me honey. He calls me cute. He calls me... Um, a lot of things. I guess he calls me Kate. Yeah. When he uses a name, he uses Kate. So after this show, this, you did this little play, what was next? And were your parents sort of like, uh, not allowing it, but sort of entertaining it and saying, this is what she likes to do. Let's let her do this. Or what was their attitude towards that? And what was the next thing that kind of, that you did? So in that sense, because they didn't have any connection to this world, like, it would have never occurred to them to let me be a child actor. So I did school theater. I would do any summer camp I did was theater-based. Anytime I went to sleepaway camp, I would want to do the play. But it was never a professional job. I went to um, this big high school outside of D.C. before I transferred to private school. And they did like a modeling agent scout there. And when I was 15, this woman called my mom and was like, hey, we want to bring Kate to New York to do some test shoots and model. And my mom was like, over my dead fucking body. And I was horrified, humiliated, locked myself in my room, hated her for years. <laughs> and now I'm like, thank you. Yes. That could have just, uh, that, that, it's never good. It probably is yeah, never, seldom is it good. It's never, it wouldn't have turned out well. So she kept, she kept you there. She kept you there. So. Kept me there, kept me there, kept me there. And then when I went, to college, they allowed me to major in theater as long as I went to a school that had other things. So like I couldn't have applied to Juilliard or CalArts. I ended up going to Syracuse because it was a liberal arts school with a great theater program. And um, everyone thought that this would become, because this is a, like where I grew up, it wasn't a thing where people became actors, professional actors and actresses. So they thought it would become, I'd become a theater teacher who does community theater or I was like going to be, maybe I would produce theater. Right. They never think that your kid's going to become a star or an, a working actor. They never, no one ever actor. thinks that. No, no, they really didn't think it. Like I love them, but they really didn't think it. Right. And so um, there's a second catalyst that happened 
which was right before my senior year of college, my dad died really suddenly. He had a heart attack while he was playing tennis, dead before he hit the ground. And we don't really, I mean, anybody can imagine that's fucking, it was a week after my 21st birthday. Like your whole life is gone. (sighs) And he, we were a close family. He was a huge part of my life. And then I like said goodnight to him one night thinking I'd see him forever. And he was just fucking gone. And there was no rhyme or reason. There was no health issues. You never knew that he had any heart complications, nothing just gone. Just gone. No, and he was like 56. Holy shit. It was so unbelievably traumatic that even to this day, as I approach 40 myself, I am still unpacking it and how how my life was, um, was, how my life was built around it, the scar tissue of that. And so in that moment, instead of doing what I planned to do, which was move to New York when I graduated, I finished my senior year and I moved back to DC and my dad worked at the World Bank. That was his job when he died. And the World Bank, for some unknown reason to me, offered me an internship, which is like the gold ring of international finance internships. But I was a theater major. Doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. Um, And I sat there for the summer and I kind of, I just put my headshot and resume into an envelope because I saw the Folger Theater was casting a show that needed girls in their 20s. And I started doing Shakespeare in DC. And I thought, you know what, this would be great. I'll be a Shakespeare actor in DC. Won't make any money, but like, well, how nice. And then I got cast in a play. And after the table read, I was fired for being bad. For, be, for being bad? Oh, I was bad at the table read. And they were like, she can't do this. So they you were, replaced me. That was the first time you ever were fired or let go of something, right? Mm-hmm. How did that no, feel? I, mean, I was rejected constantly. I was not very good for a long time. Really? Yeah. I mean, we all get better. We all learn. We all like if you study and you do this. But do you think you had natural ability? Or do you think that you just really had to work hard to be as good as you are? Um. I think I came into the game a solid B. A B? Yeah. A B? What the hell's wrong with a B? Yeah, but a B is a guest star twice a year on various shows, right? You're not making a living at a B. If you want to be a series regular, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you've got to be in, this is the fucking Olympics. You got to be an A. I don't know. I see a lot of B minuses, C pluses, C minuses. I'll go even to D's on some TV. There's a lot of TV. There's a lot of great TV. There's also a lot of bad TV, and there are a lot of grades. Maybe the grades, I don't know. What I'm saying is a B is pretty good, and you, you could be a working actor with a B. So you were you were good. You weren't bad, but you had a lot to do. You had a lot more to learn. Right. Yeah, so I got fired. And because of this traumatic event, like my dad's, this is like a year. We're still within the year or two after he died. I thought to myself, if this world is going to shit on me, I'm not getting shit on in Washington fucking D.C. <laughs> I'm going to get shit on in New York or L.A. And I flipped a coin and it was L.A. Just like that. And what did you? The world was like, oh, you want to get shit on? Here's 10 years of shit. That's for sure. There you go. You want to really be shit on? Here's how you get shit on. 
I got exactly what I asked for. <laughs> now this is, you moved out to LA how long after your father passed away? Um, three or four years. Right. And maybe less. Did, yeah. Did your, did your mom remarry or? Oh yeah. She did. Yeah. Right away. I'm nodding for those people who can't see me. Yes. So that's. I learned to love him. I grew to love him very much. But it wasn't easy in the beginning. Yeah. It was six months after my dad had died. There was a new man sitting at the breakfast table. <sighs> man. Did you lash out or what? Oh, constantly. What did you do? How dramatic. Give me a dramatic moment that oh, you remember. So I come home. So my dad dies in August. The first time Gordon, Gordon Pavey was his name. He died of cancer. He is a fantastic person and did not deserve this. And to his credit, he was perfect. He was like a horse whisperer. He waited calmly, waited me out, didn't respond, didn't put himself in any awkward situations. Gordon was a great man. Um, I was not prepared for this. So my dad died in August. So by the time I came home for spring break, my mom and Gordon were dating, like significantly. And Gordon was staying over at the house. It's so weird because my mom is married to a Gordon. Her, my stepdad is Gordon. Do you like it, Gordon? I like Gordon. Gordon's like king of the hill, Gordon. Gordon's like, your mother has long haul COVID. <laughs> Everything sounds like he's pissed off about it. He's like... Your mother tried to call you yesterday. It's like King of the fucking Hill. I love Gordon. Oh, my God. But go ahead. Tell me about your Gordon and what you did. I want to hear this. Um, my Gordon was a Harley Davidson driving, whiskey drinking, Ohio native. But also, like, worked at the ACLU for union rights. Like, just a great guy. Um. So, anyway, Gordon, my mom says to me, calls me at Syracuse, and it's like, you're coming home for spring break. Gordon will be staying over. Step one, utter screaming meltdown on the phone. How dare you? What do you mean? He's gonna, you can't do this to me. Dad's just died. My mom, to her credit, like my mom is going to live her life the way she wants to. And she was like, no, this is how it's going to be. <sighs> I'm on the phone with my sister. Joe, I'm going to burn him to the ground. I'm going to actually murder him. And my sister, who's used to her very traumatic younger sister, was like, sure, whatever. You need an alibi. I'll help you murder him. And, and I'm going to help you because I'm going to be a lawyer. So this is great. Exactly. <laughs> so I get home and I get home late one night and I go to bed and I come downstairs and Gordon is sitting where my dad used to sit at the breakfast table. This is the first time I meet Gordon. And all I have in that memory is like TV static and the music from Kill Bill. And I know I screamed a lot. Like it is a legend in my family that I was like, get out of his fucking chair, you opportunistic fuck. Like I was not holding, I was in theater school. Like I was smoking and wearing black. I was very dramatic at the time. I did a lot of drugs. <laughs> and you really said get off the chair, you fuck? I think I said opportunistic fuck. Opportunistic fuck. Yeah. Did he say a word? And I'm sure he was like, you can't speak to me like that. Gordon wasn't a pushover. But like, I think the whole room knew what was going on. Like nobody was like, Kate's okay. And she's just kind of a bad person. <laughs> but yeah, and it was like that for years. I remember Gordon didn't like to eat bacon. He like wasn't a vegetarian or anything. He just didn't like bacon. And my sister and I would just mail him bacon. All the time. <laughs> it was like the 
parent trap, but I was an adult and I was supposed to know better. <laughs> When was the moment that Gordon would remember if he were alive that he would say, this is the moment I think I won Kate over that, you know, she finally said, hey, he's good to my mom and he's a nice guy. And how long did it take? And what moment was that that you recall? God, you're getting me talking about all the good stuff. You're very good at your job. <laughs> well, I'm just interested. This particular I, I, job and your acting <laughs> job. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks. Um, another thing I've never really talked about before is I was married before I met Mike. Oh, I didn't know that. And I think the moment Gordon and I healed was I asked Gordon to officiate my first wedding. Wow. And for everything that, because I thought, and still to this day think, and when I said it to him, we had a long, it's one of the most beautiful moments in my memories with Gordon. I said to him, you in the way that you came into our family, represent to me all of the things I want to be in a marriage, which is patient and kind and loving, even when things were hard and holding boundaries, but still protecting the people you love and still making room for people's big and uncomfortable feelings. I was so, when I grew up a little bit, I was so grateful and impressed by who Gordon was when I was awful that I wanted him there officiating it. Cause I was like, this is a role model for who I want to be. I bet wife. he cried. I bet he cried. Oh, we cried. He cried. Oh man. Really good. We healed. And I am grateful for that. Cause I never got to have closure with my biological father and Gordon, who unfortunately is gone. And I cannot tell him this either. I was able to heal so much of that through Gordon. Wow. Yeah. That honestly almost brings me to tears. I'm not kidding. I got like, I could feel that, you know, that feeling in the, up here in your chest. And I was like, oh my God, I could just visualize it. And I bet that meant so much to your mom too, that it finally came together where like my daughter accepts Gordon and they're having a moment and this is beautiful. And thank God for this, right? Yeah. Thank God for healing and second chances and forgiveness and like all the beautiful things. Who believed in you? Who, when you said, I'm going out to LA to get shit on. Who said, I really believe in you? Or was it just like, let her do this. Let her let it run its course. Yeah. She'll go do this. She'll be back. She'll be a lawyer. She'll do something else. Mm -hmm. I was the second. Everyone always was, um, let Katie be Katie. There was always that feel. Like, Katie, Katie's are going to Katie. So you got to just let Katie do what she's going to do. And that kind of support I had. The people, um, the people who started believing me were people in the profession in L.A. Like um, there's a casting director named Lindsay Shag who gave me my first job. And she, I remember doing an audition for her and she had that face you always want casting directors to have when you're done with an audition. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? Aren't you magic? <laughs> and I had like nothing. And she set me up with reps. I'm like people like that. Every once in a while, I would stumble upon these little magic friends who would believe in me to get me through the next like, six to eight months in the desert between jobs what role was it or what was it that made everyone kind of open their eyes and go our little katie she's got something here i, I don't know she's really doing it <laughs> honestly was it a guest star on something was no, it midnight mass 
Like that's how what? long it's taken. <laughs> Midnight Mass was like the thirtieth thing you've done. I know, but like even after Hill House, they were like, "Oh, that's fun. She does these little horror things." And it wasn't until Midnight Mass that I started hearing from my mom's friends and my mom, where they're like, "You are actually a remarkable actress." What about like, Hush? No. Nothing from Hush. They thought it was good, but like it wasn't like Katie has a thing going. It was like, how cute. Katie's still being Katie. She'll be back soon. Wow. Because yeah. when I watched that, I was like, oh, who's this? Who's this? She's playing a, uh, a a deaf writer. Or do you say hearing impaired? What am I supposed to say? Deaf. I could say deaf? Deaf community. Deaf is a, a good thing to be. Okay, good. Good. I like mm-hmm. that. But um, all right. So you do all these things. You're in LA. You got a casting director who's kind of like, what was her name again? Lindsay Chad. She kind of hooked you up with reps and you started to get, re- you got representation from there. Yes. And that was a big thing for you. And then you started going out on auditions and having auditions for the first time. Yes. Yes. And what was the first big thing you can remember getting that was like, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to pay my bills. Oh, I booked, um, I booked an indie film called Steam. Called Stevie? Steam, like steam, steamroller, steam right? And that was with like Ali Sheedy and Ruby D. How was it working with Ali Sheedy? Amazing, she Were, was amazing. You weren't starstruck at all? Um, a little bit, but she is a, such a human. Like you know, it takes about what's like when you meet celebrities. How long do you think it, it takes? Like maybe an hour or so before they start just being a person. How long for you? It just depends. I mean, there's been some that I just like, you know, I've worked with Stallone and I'm like hanging with him on set and I'm laughing with him and he's, he knows me by name and we're talking and we're like, you know, we're sitting down at lunch and we're like, you know, it's weeks I've worked with him. I'm still like every once in a while, I'm like, that's Sylvester Stallone. That's, that's fucking yeah, I'm having Sylvester. that with Mark Hamill right now. Like Mark Hamill will never not be, holy crap, it's Mark Hamill. What, you're working with him now? He's an usher. He is? And that's not a yeah. secret. No, 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 no. He's been announced. Wow. Did you get your Star Wars uh, poster sign or did Mike ask him for an autograph yet? Not yet. We'll get there. But like, it's still like, wow. And he's wonderful, talented, humble, kind, generous, everything you want your heroes to be. And a big part. She has a big part. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mark Hamill. Yeah. You know. It's pretty cool. It's like, you know, I think my parents did, were the same way in a, in a sense that they were like, you know, he's going to school. He's going to get over this acting phase. It's going to go away. He's not going to make a living at this. He's going to realize it's too hard like everybody else, and it's going to fade away, and he's going to do something else. And I just kept plugging away because the only person that knows you got it is you. And if you yes. don't know it, you're not going fucking anywhere. And you yeah. just always felt like you had it, didn't you? Yeah. I knew that I had something like I I had an unquenchable ambition. I was not going to stop. I knew that. And did you have some tough times in LA? The worst. Like what? Yeah, the worst times I had, I was in a play reading class and the plays were $7 and I couldn't afford a play. I had, um, doing like the worst type of jobs. Like there was a job that I did for a while where I was um, a promo girl at clubs where like you're handing out shots to people who grope you and touch you and awful, but I I had to pay rent. I wasn't booking work. I had um, 
long, long stretches where I couldn't get a job and people were actively telling me I was bad at acting. I had people told you you were bad. Oh, I've lost a manager because I was bad. I've never had anybody say you're bad. You're oh, a bad is- actor. Iconic Kate story, and I'm gonna drop the fucking name because fuck her. Fuck her. This one's for you. (laughs) Tell me. So, was a family friend, and I got not like, like when I say family, like Flanna family, like within the intrepid world. Okay. I had a meeting with, and she agreed to represent me. This was after Hush, but before Hill House. And we did a pilot season together. And one of the pilots I went out for was the Nancy Drew pilot. And I have never been great at solving network TV scenes. The like, a bump, bump, joke, big bang theory, things like that. I can't quite get it. I coached hard on that audition. It was not, I was not great. And I was nervous and things like that. And after that audition, before, I think this was even... God, was it before Hush premiered, maybe? Um, she'd seen it, but I don't remember if it had gone to South by yet. She got on the phone with me, and she was like, the feedback is so bad. I don't think you're cut out for this. I took you on as a favor so I could get closer to Mike, and I don't just don't think this is going to work out. What?! She said, I "I did this as a favor to get closer to Mike, your now husband. Mm -hmm. Who has the audacity to to even say that? Mike and Trevor and do all those things, yeah. And what was your response? Did you you break down and cry? Obviously. I think what I said, and I'm like still, like I have such compassion for me. I think what I said was, I'm so sorry. Oh, Like, I'm sorry it wasn't good. I'm sorry I disappointed you. I'm sorry I couldn't do better. And I was just absolutely devastated. And even now, like, I feel a little embarrassed for having said her name. Why? Like, she said those things to me, and I don't think that's okay. Like, she could have easily just dropped me and been like, hey, pilot season isn't working out. I'm going in a different direction. A million percent. Yeah. I I agree with you. I was bad. She did not need to tell me that she just did it as a favor. Let me tell you, as much as I hate it, it's a necessity that you know, you we have managers and agents and things like that, but their their job is to sort of help you and guide you and give you the confidence and make you better and and believe in you. And you're gonna have bad days and you're gonna have bad moments. And as much as I'd like them to be, just be brutally honest. You can't tell me that every casting director likes me. You can't tell me that every audition I have, I'm great and they're just going in a different direction. I want to hear the real truth. We don't as actors. We'll fall apart. We don't want to hear. First of all, we could hear somewhat of the truth. Some of the truth. We could hear. Hey, you know what, Michael, uh, Rosie, you know, you just that you didn't do well in that audition. You just yeah. you, you, you didn't do well. You nervous. weren't good. Were you nervous in that audition? It didn't work. Like, what do you think happened there? Right. That's a yes. But to I've say you're bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've had managers be like, I feel like you're coming across. It's like a little bit too perfect, like type A, like it has to be right. You have to relax a bit, like guiding somebody. But to just, just kneecap me, mm, hurt. It hurts so much. There's so many stories I'm telling on this podcast I've never told. Before. I like it. I think it just, it just, it's grounding. It's also like people who don't know the business, the, the world that we live in. We can see how cruel it can be. And we can see like your life. You're telling me about 
your stepdad and your how your your you know your father passed away on the tennis court just so abruptly and it's like these are things that happen to people and i just think it's it's just people could relate some people out there are like holy shit like you've you've lived a life and you've worked really hard but you've also had your fucking downs yeah and i think it's important too i think what i do on set as aaron as theo as the character i'm playing now it is intimate and it is for you guys it's not for me i would love to just stay home play with my kids <laughs> and and do shakespeare with my friends but i do it because i think authenticity of life is important and i think intimacy is important and i think people being vulnerable is important and this started happening around the time of Hush is that I developed a fan base that was girls like 16 to 25. And I want them to know that I'm a person who struggles, who has to do things, who had depressive episodes, who kept going. Like this is for them to say, if you're looking at me as some kind of icon, you're missing like the piles of corpses of my past selves that I'm standing on top of. And that whoever you are today is okay. Because who I was when I was screaming, you opportunistic fuck at my stepdad, <laughs> she was okay too. Wow. We were doing our best, eh? Yeah, I, I, I think so. That's all you could do. I mean- Does that sound too Pollyanna? Did I just- No, like, fuck no, absolutely. I don't think so. Ryan, do you think so? Ryan's over there. Ryan, am I a loser? No, these stories are great. <laughs> he's like going, whoa! Oh, he's like in awe. Like this is this is good. This is right. this is what people want to hear. They don't want to hear just boring. Like I'm an actor and you're an actor. Let's talk about meeting celebrities and hanging out. What do, yeah. What do normal people talk about? No, this is what you you'd be surprised. I've had guests talk about trying to kill themselves. I've had guests talk about you know their mom and mental illness and crying on on the podcast. All sorts of shit. Like it's like. Uh, it's an open forum, you know, it's really just like, it's like kind of whatever happens, but like back to you, do you, you know, I try to think of like people say, you know, have you found yourself? Do you know who you are now? Do you know what your purpose is? And I'm like going, I don't, I don't know. I really don't fucking know. I, I wonder if I'll ever know. I wonder if I'll be 90 years old and go, who are you? But do you feel like you've gone through this stage where like, when you came out to LA, was there a level of confusion with who you were and what you wanted? And like, you just like, you, you, what were you going through? Like living out here, trying to make ends meet? Um, I think it's a pretty common story. I was going through like drinking and drugs and random gig jobs and hanging out with actors and going to acting class. And like you said, having no idea who I was and um, like covering up, my deep well of uncertainty with alcohol and cigarettes. And did you smoke a lot and drink a lot? Oh my God, the most and drugs and drinking and smoking. And what kind of like, drugs? I mean, you just, you snorted, you powdered your nose. Yeah. I would, um, let's see. I've done. Oh God. Am I, I can't get arrested for things I did. In the no, past, people don't. Right? No, I talked, I've done cocaine. I've done. Yeah, pot I mean, I've done, I've done everything except for heroin. Good. And heroin adjacent things, but I've done like, oh, I haven't done acid, but I've done mushrooms. I don't trust acid. Go. I won't do it. I won't do acid. I don't I, trust. I won't that. do acid. My brain doesn't like it. Uh, yeah, I'll melt. Um, I've done pills. I've done mm -hmm. yeah. I've done what you've done. 
Yeah, we like like, but I, I somehow the only one that's that stuck was alcohol. Stuck isn't you still do it? No, isn't I had to literally quit it. Like I had to get sober. The rest wow. of them I kind of could take or leave, and I dabbled in coke and then left coke. And but some people dabble in coke and they can't fucking let go. Yeah. But for me, I, I alcohol just pickled my brain, and I had to leave. I had to leave the party. Was it something that you were like, "Wow, I need a drink. I need a drink in the morning. I need a drink." In the afternoon, I want to have four glasses of wine. It just felt like it was consuming you? Yeah, I was a fucking alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. Wow. And so you went yeah. through the 12-step program and all that stuff? Well, I'm in the middle of steps right now. And let me tell you, that's not fun. But, um, yeah, I have a meeting and a sponsor and all that. Talk about coming clean and being honest with yourself. And just, like, that's got to be fucking hard, though. Like, to really tell the truth. Like, we could sit here and tell people all day the things that we think they want to hear or, or sugarcoat it. But when you get into these kind of positions where you're in a 12 step, it, you're just hurting yourself. If you're not honest. Yes. You're just fucking yourself essentially. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing about getting sober is that I stopped lying and I wasn't like a big liar. Like I wasn't, but like my whole life I had told tiny lies like, Oh, I owned a horse when I was a kid. I fucking did not own a horse when I was a kid. Things like that. Things that like completely arbitrary lies for no reason whatsoever. Just a fucking liar. And I would constantly get caught in them because I forget that I lied about it. So, so much of my mental energy was like, who did I lie to about what? And if I tell the story, will this, and now I just don't do it anymore. And like, it leads to some awkward moments in the moment, but I never have to keep my story straight right Jesus. i like that a lot i have a horse you don't have a horse why would you lie about having a horse well it's a weird thing well you can see it right i want it to be considered like special and rich and somehow like like i don't know high class and things like that i want it to be fancy yeah i can understand that and so like you get like it's sort of sad right like it's not no one no one looks at that lie and is like, what a monster. They're just like, ugh. Yeah, it's a little white lie. I had a horse. Yeah. Like, it's like, I, you know, my mom, you know, my family, we have a, we have a Porsche. But we don't. Yeah. We don't have a Porsche. But we it just feels good that if I did have a Porsche as a kid, you know. Yeah. Tell your friends. It would be cool, right? Yeah. You, well, you think you'd be cool. But then you get older and you're like. <laughs> it doesn't. It yeah, doesn't mean Porsches cool. aren't cool. Uh, do you have trouble watching yourself? Mm-mm. You don't mind watching a movie with you in it or your TV show. You're fine with it. I like it. You like it. I never, I rarely hear that. Most really? people, yeah, most people are just like, yeah, I just don't. You know, I'm okay. Sometimes I'll be like, okay, you were good in that. Okay. But sometimes I'm really hard on myself. So it's it's tough. But you but you enjoy it. Yeah, I'm always hard on myself. So that's not going to change. Like, it's not like I, I leave a scene and I feel great. And then I watch the scene and I feel terrible. I always think that I shit the bed. So... When I watch it, I get two things. One is a little perspective, and I can be like, oh, my God, look, it's me. I'm on TV just like I want it to be. <laughs> or, oh, my God, look at her. Look at little Katie Siegelbaum going and doing it. Siegelbaum. That's her real I name. so funny. Little Katie Siegelbaum <laughs> with tiny teeth. Like, I love her Baby so much. teeth and big gums. And the biggest gums. I got to see a picture of this. You have to, send, you have to text me. You have to text me. I think there's some on my Insta. Like, I have a couple out there. Oh, you do? And yeah. I mean, I did steam the entire movie i had old the old teeth 
and a bunch of things in castle. I did the old teeth anyway. Um, so I have that. And the second is, Oh, it's not as bad as I thought. I did a pretty good job in acting. And so it feels nice. It's also nice when you trust the people you're working with, you trust the director, you trust the DP, you trust the other actors. You're like, Hey, that's a nice place to be. Yeah. Although I did, um, an episode of Hawaii Five O, and you talk about those days, which I love. I loved, I had a great time on Hawaii Five O with Robocop who directed me. Really? Uh-huh. And, what, what's uh, his name? Peter, 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 Peter Weller. Peter Weller, yes. And he was wonderful, wonderful director. And that was one of those days you were talking about. Like that whole time in Hawaii, I left set every day like, fuck yeah. Uh, drop the mic, living my best life, covered in blood, doing shit, like at a bar, doing a big scene. And I watched it and I loved it. Like that just start to finish was like that. Cause I didn't know those people from it. I didn't know Scott Kahn. I didn't know Peter Weller. That was an offer. I didn't have to audition for it. It was right after Theo Crane. And um, I kind of threw caution entirely into the wind. And I was like, I don't know, maybe this will suck. I don't know. It was always sucked on Hawaii Five-0. Wouldn't be the first person. <laughs> what, what's the, the most favorite, your favorite thing you've ever done? What's the, you look at it, you go, this was the best thing I've ever done. Like if hush. I want somebody, hush, see, that's what hush. I thought. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's the best. I think it's like one of the best, but I mean, Haunting of Hill House, Midnight Mass. I mean, all these, these are all great. What was the- Hush for me, I wrote it with Mike. It was the accumulation of 30 years of my life that I poured into that person day by day, get up in the morning and run before set. I left set every day feeling I had left everything I had on the field. I was so happy. The level of happy I was maybe mirrors only the birth of my children in terms of like, and my wedding day, in terms of just like, but that was 18 days, six days a week, night shoots every night, like a no money, no nothing, skin of our teeth film. And, oh, I have my old teeth in Hush. You did? Mm-hmm. Your teeth weren't bad. I, I would have. I would have said, "Man, that girl's got some crazy grill." But I didn't say I, that. Yeah, my old teeth are in hush. I didn't notice um, they were bad. <laughs> I think you're just too hard on yourself. Oh man, yeah. Just put that on a T-shirt for me. I should tattoo them. It's like that's like if I had a business card, it would say Kate Siegel, too hard on herself. Yeah. I think we're all like that. I think a lot of people are. Yeah. I think I think it's, it's just one of the things as I get older, I'm just like, stop. Just be good to yourself. How do you I stop? know. What do I, you do? It's what like do you, 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 you fucked up. You fucked up. It's okay. Try not to do it again. You did it again. You got to <laughs> change your ways, dude, but don't hate yourself for it. You've got some kind of shit going on. Why do you repeat these bad things that you do? You know, and just because it's not going to help you just shitting on yourself, it's just going to bring you even lower. So, you know, and if you need help, you get help. You get, I go to therapy. I fucking talk to someone. I go, I keep doing these things. I don't, I don't know why I keep doing that. I'm like, well, how do we stop that? And then you get help from someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about. And like, you make changes. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. All right. This is called Shit Talking with Kate Siegel. These are my patrons who they just give extra to the podcast. They're amazing. Go to patreon.com slash. You guys are amazing. Thank you for your support. They, they love you. They, they're just so supportive of the podcast. And this is rapid fire. So you can just answer these or you could say, I don't want to answer that. Here we go. Okay. Little Lisa, what's the weirdest thing on your bucket list? Um, the weirdest 
weirdest thing in my bucket list. Getting a horse. Eat a live octopus. A live octopus. Like old boy. Remember in the Korean film, old boy, and he eats it and his fucking fish over his face. Oh my god, that's the weirdest thing on your bucket list. That's the weirdest thing. On my All right, list. I like it. I dig. Michelle K. Yes. Can you ask if she actually believes in ghosts or had a supernatural encounter? Um, I believe that there is more. What is it? There's more in heaven and earth ratio than is dreamt of in your philosophy. I, there's room in my belief for ghosts. I, I occasionally feel like my dad is around. Nice. I think that's a good feeling. By the way, does Mike believe in ghosts? I didn't ask no. him that. He doesn't at all. No. He doesn't believe in supernatural know. shit. Science, science, science. I believe a sense of compassion for the universe. I, I believe in the supernatural. You believe in ghosts? Have you seen a ghost? I, I, I think that there's trauma sometimes in certain places where someone's killed or someone dies and there's an energy. There's an energy about that. Um, I don't know. We don't need to get into that. But I mean, it's true that nothing is either created or destroyed in the entirety of the universe. So, yeah, who's to say, right? Who is to say? Emily asks, was there a moment, any moment on haunting, a haunting of Hill House that really freaked you out? Yeah. I mean, episode eight in the car, Risa and I are driving. Victoria Pedretti, she at Pedretti jumps in half a page early on that scene and that's the take you see in the show that's a legitimate response from me and Risa. we were not expecting it i was scared as fuck wow yeah that was freaky as shit yeah she did really good yeah that show was great tall man freaked me out he's so scary he was so scary is, is tall man was he uh was that a real person i know obviously there was cgi but was there he's a tall person but yeah, he was on stilts, I believe, or, or was um, lifted up on something. Right. I never worked with Tall Man, so I actually don't know the answer to that. You don't know the answer. But I'm assuming. All right. Meg K, Midnight Mass is one of the first shows to go back into production at the height of the pandemic. What was that experience like? Through hindsight, it was special and unique and camaraderie building. At the time, we were as terrified as everybody else. And it created this um, community feeling in the show that you see on screen. That, that we were isolated and we only had each other because that was true. How depressing was the weather there? Or was it just constantly just shit and gray and rain and depression? I don't know. Vancouver, um, so I went to school in Syracuse, which is the actual armpit of the nation. It snows and is gray and rainy from October until May. So anything is an improvement to Syracuse. And Vancouver has the most beautiful spring and summer of anywhere I've ever been. And so... The winters are hard, I'm not going to lie. But I don't know, production time is different than real world time because you're shooting nights and so you're sleeping during the day and you need those nighttime hours. And yeah, it was rainy out in the farm, but like we needed that rain for work. Like the weather was a part of our lives. Yeah. And yeah. so it's different than this winter where I was just sitting around where it was harder. I really got emotional in Midnight Mass when Robert Longstreet's, uh, what's his character's name? Uh, Joe Colley. Joe Colley's dog dies. Oh my God, he was so beautiful. Oh my scene. God, right? I he just was so proud of him. I was so proud of him. I was just like, there oh my God. There wasn't even a full puppet. There was half of a dog and a puppet master with his arm up that dog. That is what Robert is acting with in that scene. It was, and every single actor and extra is staring at him while he does it, plus the crew and the camera. I, it, the amount of pressure on him in that moment 
because we didn't have a dog. The dog puppet was only half a puppet. He is surrounded by effects people. Everyone is staring at him. And he was able to create that performance in that moment. I thought it was exquisite. Oh, Raj says, what's your method for showing fear or terror for a scene? Good direction on set, recalling a memory when you were scared, some combination. Um, breath work. Get your breath in the right place and the rest will do it for you. So when you're scared, <laughs> you can do it before action. You can do it during the scene. But for any of that stuff, for me, it always starts with the breath. Have you ever almost passed out from just breathing too heavy, heavily? 100% of the time, yes. I know. I've done that before. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting lightheaded. I'm going to pass out. <gasps> oh, my God. And then I hear. Uh, don't, they better not call cut until I actually fucking pass out. Because I'm giving them gold. gold. <laughs> is said, that what it is? You can get that like that like spotted hive look on the skin you get when you're hyperventilating. That's worth its weight in special effects money. Yeah. Where are you now? Are you in LA? I'm in Vancouver. You're in Vancouver. Oh, you, everything's yeah. in Vancouver. The next this is everything. in Vancouver. Everything. Yeah, in Vancouver. Well, what's next for you? I know you got this. You've got a lot of work left to do in this. But do you know what's next for you? I have a lot of work left left to do in this. Um, Time Traveler's Wife comes out. Uh, in the spring, which is going to be a total 180 from what you've seen me do in the past. It's so fun. What are you doing? What can we expect? Or um, is so it... if you've read the book, no, um, it's about a time traveler right. and his girlfriend in time. And I play <laughs> his mother, who in the book is kind of sort of just a side character. She dies and it affects this little boy his whole life. But Stephen Moffat took that character and made this incredible woman out of her as Stephen Moffat does. And then he entrusted that with me. And she's just this truly glamorous, glittery 1980s famous opera singer. Wow. Are you a good singer? No. Can you not sing at all? Not even. I know. Would you ever sing in a movie or a show? Nope. I'll be dubbed though. I'll lip sync all day. Really? You can't sing? You look like somebody that could sing. I can, like, sing to a lullaby to my kids. Right. Sure, but, like, there was that, did you get a call for the um, the remake or, or whatever, the Wicked something? There's, like, a new Disney musical mm. TV show they're doing. No. It was Sleeping Beauty or something. And they're like, hey, Kate, all you got to do is put a little song on tape. And I said to my reps, I was like, I'm not going to do this, not because I don't think I could pull off one song for an audition, but because God help me if I book this job and I show up and it's like Josh Gad and like Kristen Bell and me trying to figure out. Does that terrify you? Does that just terrify you? Yeah. I just got the like hot feeling. Who do you want to work with? If you could work with one director right now out there, obviously other than Mike, who would it be? Like, let's talk big directors. I'm trying to narrow it down. Actually, what I'm honestly trying to do is think of someone who's not a white male. Um, but I don't really have that. So Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh. It's always weird. It's always sort of out there. And um, like he'll shoot an entire movie on his iPhone. Or he makes a movie about a call girl in a time where nobody was allowing sex work to be anything other than a fault. Um, I really love him. I love the Coen brothers. They're also doing crazy stuff. I would love to dip my toe in comedy in that way, that particular brand of dark comedy. Yeah. Um, Shonda Rhimes is on my bucket list. I think she, like Mike, is a genre creator. Like when you know, you know exactly what a Shonda Rhimes show is. 
in terms of like glamour and sparkle and like wit. Uh, you know, someone asked me if I would do nudity and I think I would, if it was the right, I, th- I think I would, if it was just the right director, it was the right piece. If it just seemed like, you know, this is part of it. It's not like jackass where I'm like nailing my balls to the fucking floor. You know what I mean? But, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think I would do, would you, would you do nudity? The only time I would is, um, did you ever see, you know, before sunrise, then they have the after sunset and this minute and Julie Delpy does that whole argument topless. Yes. That I, something like that, because to me it was completely necessary because that was completely truthful in the moment. Because when you're in that relationship, you're not putting a shirt on to fight with someone. Yeah. And so it was something like that. I don't, I never do. I won't do it. I'll let them simulate it with a double, but I don't do sex. I don't do kissing. I don't do, I don't do it. You don't do Ever kissing? Wait, I'll wait, wait. What? I won't do it. Wait, you won't do I'll kissing? Well, yeah, I'll do, I did kissing. The last time I did kissing was in Hill House. And otherwise I'll fake it. Like you can fake it with camera angles or they can kiss your neck or they can do that. But I don't like to do mouth to mouth kissing. Really? That, I mean, that's something that I di- I learned today. Because no kissing, I, I, no nudity. If you're going to simulate sex, it has to be someone else. Wow. Have you ever been offered something and you turn it down because of that? No, generally people work around it because you can't. That's the whole point. You can work around it. If the, and, and listen, if the kiss is extremely important and I'm like, this is great. We need this moment for whatever it is. But if it is the two people are about to have sex, I'm like, he can kiss my neck. He can grab me and we can be face to face. I don't need to French somebody to start a sex scene. I don't. And I don't. For me, it's a hard boundary. Wow. I I appreciate that. You stick to your guns. I try. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've had to kiss. Um, You like it? I have. Sometimes I have not liked it. Like I wish that we didn't have to kiss. And then there's been some times where I'm like, well, this didn't suck. The person's breath was nice. It was yeah, uh, sensual. We both respect each other. Uh, didn't suck, but there's didn't other times. <laughs> but there's other times where I'm like, oh man, I yeah. did not look forward to this. But this is this is part of the job. I love this conversation. I love talking to you. I had such a good time talking to you. Yeah, we ha- yeah. I want to hang out with you guys sometime. We have to all hang you out. You are totally welcome to hang out with us. Come up to Vancouver, or when we come back to LA, we would love to hang out. I would love it. Invite uh, Rob and myself. We'll we'll, uh, yes. we'll come over and and just wait until you talk to Rahul. It's going to be like Rahul is one of the funnest interviews I've ever seen. Really, ever so I could talk to him about anything. Anything. Nothing is off limits. He is insightful and vulnerable and honest and funny. You're going to have a great time. I can't wait. This has yeah. been a real treat. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yes, you're awesome. Keep up the great work. I look forward to seeing everything you freaking do. Yay, hashtag no kissing. All right, no kissing. Maybe on the (laughs) neck. On the neck. On the neck. On the neck only. (laughs) All right, I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Yeah, she was. uh, She was fun. I, I, you know, it's 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 nice to see when another actor talks about their nerves and how. You know, when they're first on set and they're, you know, they want to be great. It's you want to be great. It's that yearning for it to be, you know, just impressed to to be. We all have it. 
And I think she, she just has that. She wants to be good. She wants to come through. She wants to do her job. And she talks about those insecurities. And uh, I've felt those insecurities, uh, insecurities before. It's always nice, Ryan, when you when you learn from your guests or you can. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the word when you could uh, relate? Relate. Relate <laughs> is the word. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Please subscribe. If you like this interview, please uh, subscribe, write a review. It helps the podcast substantially. There's so many podcasts. Uh, that's all I ask of you. That's it. Uh, check out the uh, Inside You online store for awesome merch. Also, the Sunspin, my band. We have a website, sunspin.com. You can book uh, Zooms with me. You can buy cool merch. Um, there's that. I'll be in the St. Louis at the uh, Fan X St. Louis. Mm. Fan Expo. That's mm-hmm. uh, May 13th, 14th, and 15th. May 13th, we're doing a, a Smallville Nights. That's an improv show with me and Welling. And then I'll be in Liverpool later that month. And uh, thanks, my patrons, my lovable patrons for my lovable patrons for joining Patreon and uh, giving back to the podcast. You really keep the podcast afloat, and I couldn't do it without you. And I want to say thank you, Ryan. I love having him here. He's my main man, thick and thin. Bryce, thanks for uh, working so hard on this podcast. Jason, my editor, you're rocking it. Um, and everybody at Westwood One Cumulus, uh, thanks for all the the love and the support and all my friends. And I just want to say continue on, rock on. Uh, I appreciate you. And right now, why don't we just read the top tiers? Let's do it. These are the top tier patrons. Here we go. Can we have some music, Jason? That might add something to it. Just like some sports, maybe, some maybe sports J- center music, Jason like highlights. Either, yeah, Jason's either added music right now underneath slowly or nothing. So, Jason, we'll see what you do. We'll find maybe, out. Maybe you'll just cut out what I'm saying right now. Here we go. Nancy D. Leah S. I did the old lick. <clears throat> Nancy D. Leah S. Sarah V. Little Lisa. Yukiko. Jill E. Brian H. Nico P. Robert B. Jason W. Kristen. K. Allison L. Raj C. Joshua D. CJ. P. Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jen S, Jamal F, Janelle B, Kimberly E, Mike E, L, Don Supremo, 99 more, Ramira, Santiago M, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine R, Maya P, Maddie S, Belinda N, Chris H, Dave uh, E, H, H, Spider-Man, Chase, Sheila, G, Brad, D, Ray, H, Tabitha, T, Tom N, Liliana A, Talia M, <laughs> Betsy, uh, God. Betsy D. That's correct, my uh, friend. Chad L. Rochelle Marion. Uh, Meg K. Trav L. Dan N. Big Stevie W. Angel M. Rhiannon C. Corey K. Super Sam. Deb Nixon. Michelle A. Jeremy C. Andy T. Cody R. Gavinator. David C. John B. Brandy D. Yavor. Camille S. The C. Joey M. Willie F. We're getting to the nitty gritty here. David H. I think that's David Hall. Hey, Dave oh. Hall. Hey, Dave Hall. How you doing, brother? Uh, Adelaide N, Omar I. What if I just did that voice? Lena N, Design OTG, Eugene and Leah, Chris P, Nikki G, Corey, Nicole, Patricia, Heather L, Jake B, James B, Bob it, Abel F, Joshua B, Tony G, <laughs> Megan T, Mel S, Orlando C, John B, Caroline R, Rob E, Paul C, Christine S, Sarah S, Eric H, Spring. Spring is here. And Jennifer R. I really couldn't do this show without you, top tier patrons and all patrons. Thank you. Thank you for all the support. And I'm fine. I think I, I posted on something on Patreon that, you know, I sent a message that, you know, I was a little under and uh, I came back from Mexico, which I had a great time. But uh, I think I was dehydrated because for one day I had no energy and I felt maybe a tad nauseous. 
and I was a little achy. And so I got a PCR COVID immediately. I'm negative, And then it was gone 24 hours. Isn't it amazing that a lot of the things that ail us can be cured with hydration? That's so true. I'm Isn't gonna... it frustrating? I'm going to drink <laughs> but... some water right now. That's why. Um, oh, this is nice. We'll just get some uh, ASMR. Yeah. What's that right. stand for? It stands for doing things into the microphone like this. I don't know what it stands for. I, don't know what it stands for. I just know what it is. Guys, thank you for choosing this podcast once again. Thanks for uh, all the support and all the love. Um, join me next week. We have another great guest. And uh, yeah, all I have to say is thank you from uh, myself, Michael Rosenbaum. For myself, Ryan Tias. Hey, I'm the Hollywood Hill in California. <laughs> You're right Thanks. there? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just indigestion. Guys, be good to yourself. Most importantly, have a great week. And uh, seriously, thanks for listening. Hopefully, you'll uh, join us next week. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.